So the Bible says that there is a real Satan, a real devil, whose passion is to keep people from trusting Jesus, or if possible, to destroy those who are trusting Jesus, to destroy them spiritually. There's a real Satan, and this is his mission. And one of the most powerful ways he accomplishes that mission is by deceiving us into thinking that God is not able to do the things he's promised. He may have promised some things, but they're just too hard for him to do. For example, God can deceive, maybe some of you are deceived into this right now, into thinking that although God's promised to forgive your sins through Jesus, that's just too hard for him. Maybe it's because your sins are too many or because they're too serious or because they've just gone on for too long. And you can think, God is not able to forgive my sins. Maybe he's deceived you into thinking that it's too hard for God, even though he's promised to change hearts. He can't change this heart. I'm just too full of pride or too full of lust or just, I'm just too far from God. You think it's too hard for God to do what he's promised in my case. Or we can think it's too hard for God to open the door for us to obey. We're facing an opportunity, a situation where we know what obedience would look like. We think it's just impossible. That could never happen. I could never obey in that way. Look at what would happen. Look at what it might mean. It's impossible for God to make a way for me to obey. So one of Satan's deceptions is to make us think that even though God's promised, it's just too hard for him to fulfill those promises. And I think one of the reasons the Holy Spirit led Moses to write Genesis 18 is to strengthen us so we don't fall for that deception. So let's turn to Genesis 18, and I want you to see where we find that there. Now this morning, we're going to cover verses 1 through 15 of Genesis 18, and then Lord willing, the rest of the chapter and into 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah next Friday. So verses 1 through 15 this morning, and in verses 9 through 15 is where we are strengthened to believe that nothing is too hard for God to do that he's promised to do. But verses 1 through 8 set the crucial stage for what we're going to see in verses 9 through 15. So let's start with verses 1 and 2. Look at what we read there, because if you read it carefully, it's puzzling. Verse 1, And the Lord appeared to him, that's to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. See the puzzlement here? The Lord appears to him. What he sees is three men. So how can the Lord appear to Abraham as three men? What's going on here? Now, you might think, well, this is a picture of the Trinity. Well, the Bible does teach that God is three persons. One God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yes, but the Trinity is not three men. Something else is going on here. So what is going on? And, and to answer that, what we need to start with understanding is that the Bible frequently says that God is invisible and no one has ever or ever will see him. Let me show you these passages. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. 
John writes. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the invisible God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 6.16 God alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God is invisible. No one has ever seen God. No one can see God. And the reason for that is because God is infinite. Now, it doesn't mean he's just kind of some vague force out there. He is a personal being. God in three persons. Not three men, three, three persons. But God is infinite, which means he's not limited to being physical. This is hard for us to conceive. But see, God is more than physical. He has no physical limitations. He's infinite in size. He's infinite in space. He's infinite in power. So if you could ever see all that God is, you just shrunk God from being infinite down to being finite. Because he's there. That's what the Bible means. No one has ever seen God fully, has seen God exhaustively, has seen God completely. Because God's infinite. Now, if if the story stopped there, that would be tragic because it would mean none of us can know anything about God. But God loves us. And God created us so we could have the joy of knowing Him, beholding Him, worshiping Him, trusting Him, fellowshipping with Him. Beautiful how God does this. And so God reveals Himself to us. Throughout the scriptures, he appears, he reveals himself to us. Now, these revelations are not all that God is, but they are accurate, true, clear revelations of who God is. Not all of who God is, but they are revelations of who God is. They do give us true and clear and real knowledge of God, but they don't give us all that there is to know about God. So, for example... Uh, God revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush, right? This is a real revelation of God to Moses through the burning bush. Does that mean that God is a, a burning bush? No, that'd be a total mistake to make. But God is clearly revealing himself, speaking to Moses through a burning bush. God revealed himself to Israel in the pillar of cloud and fire. Does that mean that God is a pillar of cloud and fire? No, no, no. He, he just reveals himself through that. There's ways he was making himself real to Israel in that form, in that way. Now, the most clear revelation that God's given us of himself is through Jesus and through the scriptures, right? Crystal clear revelation of who God is. Jesus, fully God, fully man. When Jesus was walking on the earth, God was here in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. When, they, when people saw Jesus, they saw God himself. But they didn't see all of who God was because there's God the Father and there's God the Spirit. But they saw God 
himself in Jesus. God's also given a super clear revelation of himself in the Bible. The Bible is the very words of our creator, God. Whoa. Now, we don't learn everything there is to know about God from the Bible, but we have perfectly true, heart-stirring, glorious, all the truths we need to know to follow Jesus and advance his mission given in the Bible. That shouldn't trouble you, right? That everything about God is not in the Bible. You understand why we say that, right? That should not denigrate the Bible in any way. The Bible, there's no book like the Bible. This is God's very words. But God is infinite, okay? And God has revealed himself to us clearly through the Bible. So God reveals himself to us. And that's what's happening in Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2. God appears to Abraham as three men because he's revealing himself to Abraham through these three men and what they say. Is God three men? No, that would be a mistake to think. Does God reveal himself through three men, through burning bushes, through pillar of fire and cloud? Yes. That's what's happening here. So what does God reveal to Abraham through these three men? As I kept reading verses 1 through 8, I saw a very interesting emphasis that Moses brings, and that is Abraham, Abraham's devoted hospitality. I mean, read through, starting in verse 2, go to verse 8, and notice how devoted he was to hospitality. I mean, we know hospitality was important in that culture, but this is like, wow. Okay, check this out. Verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. That's a little bit unusual. Ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord. If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servants. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servants. So they said, these three men, they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick. See this speed theme going through here? Quick, three seahs of fine flour. Now that's way more flour than these men would possibly eat. Um, but again, it's over the top, hospitality. Three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Do you see the emphasis on Abraham's devoted hospitality? Running quickly, you know, the whole thing. And so why? Why this emphasis on Abraham's devoted hospitality? And I think the reason is that Abraham is an example of how when God reveals himself to us, we should treasure that. We should cherish that. We should value that. That's what's going on here. See, Abraham knew God is appearing to me. He's revealing himself to me through these three men. 
So Abraham was not like, I'm just too busy, right, to see them. He didn't like, you know, just, sorry, why don't you just keep going? Maybe they've got some food for you down there. He didn't say, Sarah, you know, any leftovers from last night? We could like warm up really quick to, to serve them. That's not what Abraham said. He ran to meet them. He bowed before them. He asked them to stay. He and Sarah quickly, emphasized many times, prepared a meal. They prepared the best meal they had, and he attended to them while they ate. So I think what Moses wants us to be gripped by is when God reveals himself to you, cherish that revelation, value that revelation. Do you value God's revelations to you? Let me give you some examples. When God answers a prayer, he's just revealed something of himself to you, right? Do you stop? Do you thank him? It's so important. When God stirs your heart during worship, okay, start off cast iron, cold stove like we talked about earlier this morning, and, and the, the wind of the Spirit comes, and the, the, the match is lit, and, and oh, you're glorious, God. Do you thank him for his mercy in, in touching your heart in that way? Do you nurture that? Do you cherish that? Do you treasure that? When God convicts you of sin, do you confess that sin? Do you thank him for the conviction? Do you pull out the word of God and fight against that sin until you've destroyed that sin from out of your heart? When God gives you a spiritual gift, do you thank him? Do you, do you pray, Lord, why did you give this to me? Who do you want me to bless with this? How do you want this to be a blessing to the body? And then do you use it as a blessing to the body? And, and God has given us the Bible, the, the supreme revelation. This is where we learn who Jesus was. This is where we see who God is. This is perfectly true truth from God. No other book is like this. Do you love the Bible? Do you cherish the Bible? Are you learning the Bible? Are you reading the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation? Are you just reading other books that talk about the Bible? Are you reading the Bible? Right? Oh, so Abraham is a powerful example to us of valuing God's appearances, God's revelations. Let's be people who value God's revelations to us. Okay, so what is it then that God reveals to Abraham and Sarah through these three men? And as I read verses 9 through 15, I noticed what emphasis is put on Sarah's laughter. Let's read verses 9 through 15 and notice how much that's emphasized. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she was beyond childbearing years. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, God said, no, that you did laugh. Woo. Now, did you notice how much emphasis here on Sarah's laughing? And so commentators talk a lot about, was she laughing the laugh of faith? Like, incredible, I'm going to have a baby. Or was she laughing the laugh of unbelief? It's like, yeah, right, me? Not going to happen. What was her laughter? And the way to answer that kind of question is to look at, see if Moses gives us clues in the text. And I found three clues. See if these are persuasive to you. I think Moses is making it really clear that her laugh was not the laugh of faith. Her laugh was the laugh of unbelief. First clue, verse 13, notice that God asks Sarah why she laughed. Now, if her laugh was the laugh of faith, God would have asked her, why did you laugh? Right? If it's a laugh of faith, it's like, yes, I'm going to do that. But if it's a laugh of unbelief, it's like, why did you laugh? Okay? So that's a hint that it's a laugh of unbelief. Second, then, in verses 13 through 14, God tells us why Sarah was laughing. God tells us. God knows everything. And he tells us what was going on in Sarah's heart. Read verses 13 and 14 again. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, so here's what's going on in her heart while she's laughing, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And then he answers, is anything too hard for the Lord? So that's what she was laughing about. Like, this is too hard for the Lord. This is not going to happen. Do you see that? It's unbelief. God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So the reason she laughed is because she thought something was too hard for the Lord. Third clue, verse 15, notice Sarah denies laughing. If it was the laugh of faith, no need to deny it, right? Verse 15, Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid, because she knew it was unbelief. He said, no, but you did laugh. So Sarah's laugh was not the laugh of faith. It was a laugh of unbelief. Now, don't think that Moses is being overly hard on Sarah here. Remember, end of chapter 12, Moses is very clear that there was a time when Abraham was full of unbelief. Remember, he asked Sarah, would you lie and tell Pharaoh that you're my sister? Okay, so I won't be killed. Totally full of unbelief. And we will see in chapters ahead times when Abraham is full of unbelief. So Abraham's full of unbelief sometimes. Sarah's full of unbelief sometimes. Every follower of Jesus is full of unbelief sometimes. Right? You are. I am. So that's what's going on here in this story. And just think about why was she struggling to believe? I mean, let's put ourselves in her shoes a little bit. God had promised to give her a child, but think about this. Over 20 years ago, God had promised her a child. Think of how excited she would have been. She'd been not able to conceive up to that point. Oh, I'm going to have a baby, right? So the first month goes by when they're in the promised land. Oh, not pregnant yet. Second month, not pregnant yet. First year, second year, 10th year, 
15th year, 20th year, I'm not able to have children anymore. I'm now beyond childbearing years. Now it's physically impossible for me to get pregnant. Can you understand? It's not right, but can you understand why she would have some unbelief? But again, look at God's answer in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer? No. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time. I've got an appointed time, Sarah. I've had an appointed time. From eternity past, I've had an appointed time with such wisdom, with such love, with such care. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. In other words, nothing God promises to do is too hard for him to do. Now, let's be clear on what we're talking about here exactly. What if you would love to become the CEO of your company? Okay? Is that too hard for God to do? No. God could totally do that. Is God going to do that? He hasn't promised that he's going to do that. Right? So that would not be a correct application of this passage. The fact that you'd like to have something happen doesn't mean God's going to do it. Are we clear? Okay, we need to be careful not to make that. What is that? What do you do that? Don't do that, okay? Don't make that (laughs) mistake, all right? But has God promised to give Abraham and Sarah a son? Yes. Makes no difference if it's 20 years. Makes no difference if she's beyond childbearing years. Nothing is too hard for God to do that he's promised to do. Now, why is it so important for us to believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord? We've seen that that's what Sarah needs to believe. I'm sure Sarah learned her lesson. She is now believing. She was chastened. I did laugh. You're right. I did laugh. Why is it so important for us to believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord? And here's why. I said this at the beginning. It's because Satan's mission is to keep you from trusting Jesus Or if you are trusting Jesus, his mission, if possible, is to destroy you who are trusting Jesus. Keep you from trusting Jesus or destroy those who are trusting Jesus, if possible. That's his his mission. And one of the most powerful ways he does that is by deceiving us into thinking that God is not able to keep his promises. That God has made promises to us that are for some circumstance or some reason, too hard for him to fulfill. And I would guess that many of us this morning, you are either deceived or you are moving towards being deceived about that very point. Let me give you a couple examples. First, what happens if you think it's too hard for God to forgive your sin? And I would guess that that's where some of you are at this morning. You're thinking about how seriously wrong that one sin was or about the, 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 the number of your sins or the length of time in which you've been sinning against God. And you can think it's just too hard. God's, my sins are just too much. But see, God has promised to forgive your sins through Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross. He came to earth to die. That was his ultimate purpose. 
he who was without sin was punished in our place for sin. And so as he was hanging on the cross after suffering, not just the physical an imaginable torment, but the wrath of God being poured out upon him for a sin, he, he finally cried out, it is finished, which meant that the, the guilt was paid, right? Sin had been punished in him for all who would turn and trust Jesus. And so God's promise is when you look to Jesus Christ and trust him, I trust you, Jesus. Forgive me. I trust you. Change me. I trust you. Fill me. He will. And just think of the, the wonder, the beauty. Oh, I was talking to somebody this last week who's, who's not, not trusting Jesus yet. Oh, he's, he's hungry. He's learning. And we were just talking about the, the wonder to think that all of your guilt can be washed away. All of it. All the past sin guilt washed away. You're looking back. It's gone. And all your present guilt washed away. And all of your future guilt washed away so that all of your guilt is washed away. Do you realize what that is? Now, boy, some of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, you maybe have forgotten the wonder of that. All your guilt gone through Jesus Christ. But see, if Satan can make you think it's too hard for God to do that because of how much you've sinned or how grievously you've sinned, then you won't turn to Jesus. You won't be forgiven. You'll just sink down into the quicksand of sin and unbelief to your eternal torment and punishment. Don't believe Satan's deception. It makes no difference what you've done. It makes no difference what you've done through Jesus You'll be forgiven when you turn to him and trust him. What happens if you think that it's too hard for God to change you? He's promised to change you, right? Like the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, changing the soul. Remember last week we talked about circumcision is a sign of what God does in our hearts when he saves us. Sin had grown up around our hearts. Sin, lust, pride, greed, and had choked the life out of our hearts. So our hearts were dead. We had no love for God, no interest in God, no desire for his glory. Just boring. That's what our hearts. And God, in great mercy, he cut away that sin that had grown up around our hearts. And then he breathed life into our hearts. And our spiritual hearts start to beat. And we see Jesus in his glory, and because of what he's done, that's called regeneration. Because of what he's done, we trust him, we repent, we're freed. He's changed our hearts. And something I didn't mention last week, all through our Christian lives, that sin starts to try to grow back up around our hearts, right? You feel that happening, don't you? Happens all the time. And God, when we open up the scriptures and pray, he will use the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to cut that sin off the heart one more time. And then to cut that sin off my heart one more time. And one more time, and one more time, time and time and time, time and time and time and time and time. That's the Christian life. Your heart, I'm just full of lust. I'm just full of pride. I'm not feeling anything of God. God's promised to change your heart. So you pray, you open up the scriptures, he will work. But if you think this is too hard, then you'll just sink down into your sin. Sink down into your sin. Don't let Satan deceive you into thinking that it's 
too hard for God to change your heart, that your heart is too far from God, or that the pride is too strong, or that the unforgiveness and bitterness is too powerful. He will change your heart. One more example. It's easy for us to think that it's too hard for God to make a way for us to obey. Take this example. Let's say that you need a job, and you've been applying. Applied here, applied here, applied here, applied here. No, 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 no. And you're starting to think, I don't think I can get a job unless I lie about my qualifications in some way. Now, do you see the deception here? Thinking that God can only provide you a job with you lying? See, you're thinking it's too hard for God to do this here. I need to help him out by sinning a little bit, right? See what you're saying? But God promises he will always make a way for you to obey. But if you don't think he will, if you think that's too hard for him, then you will just sink down into the quicksand of sin. You lie on your CV or whatever is going on there. Now, let me give you an example from my grandfather's life about how he experienced this. I just love this story, and it's just a perfect illustration. This is 1919, a long time ago. My grandfather was married. He wanted to become an orange grower, to grow and sell oranges. So he bought a little orange grove, and he started working at an orange packing warehouse to pay the bills and to learn the business. Now, one day as he worked in this warehouse, something very unusual happened. He just had this sense of God's hand on him, God's presence on him, like God was tapping him on the shoulder, wanting to get his attention and as he just thought about it, just this, this thought like God was calling him to quit the job and go to Bible school. Just this sense, God's calling me to, to quit my job and to go to Bible school. And that was, it was so strong and it was so startling that he just couldn't keep working. So he found a place in the warehouse where he could kind of go by himself behind some orange crates and he kneeled down and he prayed. He said, God, is this... Is this just from you. And as he prayed, the sense of calling increased. Quit your job here. Go into Bible school. But then the doubt started to come in. If I quit my job here, we're not going to have any money to live on. How am I going to support my wife and me? How are we going to pay for, for Bible school? Uh, he just decided that that's just too hard. I must be wrong. So he got up and, and walked back to his desk to go back to work. But as he was walking back to his desk, God's hand just became heavier and heavier and heavier upon him. And he knew, no, this is what I'm calling you to do. So he, he went back behind the orange crates one more time, and this is what he prayed. He wrote this down. Oh, Lord, I will walk in your path. I will resign my position and trust you to supply our needs. So do you see how he was battling there with, can God make a way for me to obey? Or is this going to be too hard for God to do? Do you see the, the dilemma? Are some of you in that dilemma right now? So he prayed this, and immediately God's peace came upon him. God gave him faith to obey. He got up. He walked into his manager's office and said, I've so appreciated working here. I need to resign. God's calling me to go to Bible school. And then he left. A few days later, this is amazing. He gets a phone call from an oil company. This oil company had been exploring for oil in that area. 
and they wanted to buy the rights to drill for oil on his Orange Grove property. And they offered him 10,000 US dollars, 1919 money, which today would be almost 500,000 Durham. He took it. <laughs> he said, okay. And they had more than enough money to support him and his wife, went through Bible college, started a ministry. The oil company never did drill, but they gave him the money. It's never too hard for God to make a way for you to obey. Never look at a command and say, I just can't, I can't do that. You can't. Right. But we're not talking about you or me. We can't. God can. God can. So never see a command in the scripture and say, that's just impossible. Can't do that. God will make a way for you to do it. Now, we all struggle with being deceived, thinking that something is too hard for the Lord. We all do. I would guess probably if we're honest, all of us would think, yes, that's going on in this area or in that area. So let's ask one last question. What can I do when I think something is too hard for the Lord? And let me give you four steps that are from the scriptures, but that I have found really helpful because I battle this often. First, pray and ask Jesus to forgive you for your unbelief. It's unbelief to think that something is too hard for God, to think that he can't forgive you. Look at the cross. To think that it's too hard for God to change your heart. Think about Saul, Christian-hating Saul, becoming Jesus-loving Paul. Dramatic change. No heart is too hard for God to change. So it's unbelief. So pray and ask Jesus to forgive you. He will. Look at the cross. He will assure you, you are completely forgiven. And then ask Jesus to strengthen your faith. Faith is a gift of God. Jesus strengthened my faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like the man in Mark 9, 24, I believe, help my unbelief, please. He always smiles when we pray that prayer. So ask him, strengthen my faith, help me. And then third, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. So open up the Bible. This is where faith comes from, okay? If your Bible's closed and you're thinking, I don't have any faith, well, faith comes from the word, okay? So you open up and you, you read like when God parted the Red Sea. Remember? How are we going to survive Red Sea parts, they go across. When God delivered Israel from Egypt with mighty signs and wonders. When God delivered Peter from prison. I mean, all the ways, the powerful ways that God works, the promises that are in God's word. Read God's promises. Read stories of God's faithfulness and pray over those. Help me to believe this. Help me to see this. Help me to feel this more deeply. And then fourth, pray over these passages until the Holy Spirit comes and uses these passages to so show you Jesus in all of his glory, all of his power, all of his mercy, that you'll know nothing is too hard. He will do what he's promised to do. So confess your unbelief, pray for Jesus to strengthen your faith, open up the word of God, pray over the scriptures, and do that forth until the Holy Spirit comes and shows you Jesus in all of his glory so your faith is strong and you know that he will do what he's promised.
Let's stand together. I want to pray this for us. Father, I pray for your power to come right now. We know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're wrestling, Lord, and thank you for your power through your word, which can enable us to wrestle and to to win by your grace. So I pray, Lord, for those of us who are wrestling right now with this deception that there's something you've promised that you're not able to do, that's too hard for you to do. I pray that right now, Lord, you've used this passage, you've used these scriptures to strengthen faith. I pray, Lord God, that right now you would strengthen faith even more. I pray that anyone here who does not think you can forgive their sins, Lord, that they would see the cross more clearly right now and that you would give them faith, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would pour out your grace upon them, that this morning they would leave here cleansed from sin, completely forgiven. I pray for anyone here who thinks that their heart is just too hard or sinful to be changed by you. Anyone here who thinks that their circumstances are just too hard for them to obey you, God, set us free from these deceptions. Right now, I pray for your glory and for our good. Come and do that, Lord. Lord, we here at Grace Church, we want to know that nothing is too hard for God. We want to believe that. We want to display that. So pour that out upon us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.